super sub heroics to Noida Penal 2.0. The Nations League brings out the best and worst of the USA-Mexico rivalry, an instant Clásico in Denver. Meanwhile, the legend grows. Christian Pulisic, a week after winning the Champions League, delivers the game winner and a signature celebration for US and Mexico fans to remember. Plus, who's on the hook for L3? As Tata Martino's team suffers a devastating defeat. Are Mexico still Los Gigantes de CONCACAF? All that and more, starting now on Football America. Welcome into the show, Hercules Gomez, Sebastian Salazar. Herc, what a weekend. What a game between the United States and Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League final. I don't know about you, but here on the East Coast to finish at like 1 a.m., I basically haven't slept. I'm, I'm running on E. <laughs> I normally don't sleep. Thank you, Santiago, my little uh, son. <laughs> uh, but this was something else. I agree with you. It, it, by no means was this, and we'll get into it, but it kept me up all night just thinking about what had transpired. Absolutely. We're going to talk uh, big picture United States with Taylor Twelman. He's going to join us in just a few minutes. After that, we'll talk big picture Mexico with Mauricio Pedrosa. He'll join us after that. But Herc, let's start with the game itself because it was, as we said at the top, an instant Clásico. The United States winning 3-2 in the first ever CONCACAF Nations League final. Herc, Mexico led twice. Goals from Tecatito, goals from Diego Linus. The U.S. came back twice. Two goals off corner kicks. One from Gio Reyna, one from Weston McKinney. Mexico had a goal waved off for an offside on Hector Moreno. A very close offside. 2-2 as we headed into extra time. And then it was a story of two penalties. Christian Pulisic converted his. And Andres Guardado did not. Saved by Ethan Horvath. Um, Herc, perhaps it wasn't the greatest game aesthetically, no. but in terms of spectacle, in terms of rivalry, it truly, truly delivered, especially for a tournament, an event, the Nations League, that we've all been downplaying for quite some time. Yeah, we've been downplaying it, and you could say whatever you want about the importance of this tournament or not. At the end of the day, it's a final. It's U.S. men's national team versus Mexico. That captivates, that gets the attention. When you talk about, was this a good outing a football display no it wasn't pretty by any standard uh tactically technically lacking very deficient both teams in certain areas individual performances that were very deficient but then you had these wait a second look at me type of performances you had these look where this is going dramatic pauses churn twist plot twist events like uh var calls whatever it may be that were just dramatic that were just like where are we going with this it just kept you on the edge of your seat but at every single twist and turn you knew it was because it was important. It was U.S. versus Mexico. It was the U.S. men's national team playing in Denver, playing at home. A very young, promising team against El Gigante de CONCACAF. So by no means was it pretty, but everything you would want in a final, the dramas, the twists, the turns, everything this had. I would say it was a great game for the neutral. I just don't know how many neutrals there are when it comes to USA, Mexico. <laughs> well, no. We did a bunch of games back in like 2018, 2019. US and Mexico played like three times in less than a year. Two of them were friendlies. And I remember you and I talking about this rivalry was in danger of getting watered down. Well, after yesterday with the fans back, I think we could say USA and Mexico is back. And we judged the best rivalries worldwide off intensity, 
Uh, that game, that game didn't lack for intensity at all. And we saw it in good and bad and ugly ways. And we'll get into that uh, in just a little bit. Let's get to the moment of the match though, Herc, because for all the narratives, for all the storylines, for all the big picture stuff that we're going to talk about later in the show, this match, as good as it was, boils down to one moment. 124th minute. That's not a typo of extra time. Andres Guardado with the penalty. Ethan Horvath with the save. Ethan Horvath with the save after coming on to replace an injured Zach Steffen. I mean, you cannot, you cannot write this as a you script. You can try. You can try to write this. And if you did write this for a Hollywood script or as a Hollywood script, you would say hometown boy plays in the home stadium of the team he grew up watching, you know, football team, in front of his fans, in front of his family, and saves the day against the biggest rival, which is exactly mm. what happened. It wasn't just anybody who stepped up. It was Andres Guardado, who's arguably one of the best Mexican players ever to play the game, a top five in many uh, on their all-time list, all-time greatest list. It really was a storybook type of display and type of ending for uh, Ethan Horvath. As much credit, Herc, as we want to give Ethan Horvath, we have to say in that moment, Andres Guardado, for all his experience, he kind of choked, didn't he? I mean, there was a long time. There was a lot of pressure to think about how much was on that kick. You saw the American players messing with him. Uh, Horvath the hero, but Guardado here very much the GOAT. Very much so. Guardado's 34 years old. He will be 35 come September, right around the corner. It's very much a question of what's his role with this team? Where is he going forward with Tata Martino? He didn't start in a final. That should tell you a lot about where Tata Martino sees him. And when that happens to a player that's ending his career or on the latter end of her stage of his career, that will mess with your psyche. So now you're not starting a game you feel you should be starting. You're the captain. You stepped up, take a penalty kick. And if you see the direction of where that penalty kick went, it wasn't like Ethan Horvath had an unbelievable save and fingertips saved, you know, next to the post and took it away. No, he struck that terribly, almost mm. to the center. You can tell it affected him psychologically. He wasn't ready, wasn't prepared. Everybody can miss. That's not the issue here. You can miss. It happens. It's who missed and how it happened. It's the context surrounding Andres Guardado and what is the decline of Andres Guardado. Yeah, Horvath very much involved in the moment of the match. Probably a good shout for man of the match as well, because it wasn't just uh, that penalty save, right? There were some big saves in regulation, some big yeah. stops on Chucky Lozano from distance that I think are probably worth noting. Uh, the other massive polemica in this match is the penalty that comes in the 110th minute of extra time. Christian Pulisic getting into the box. Carlos Salcedo called for the foul. Herc, straight up, was it a penalty for you? No, not for me. I think not for many. But here's the thing, and Carlos Salcedo certainly has heard this plenty of times because when you're a defender, when you're any type of player, competitive player in a competitive environment, especially in CONCACAF, do not let the referees make a decision. Don't put them in a situation where they're forced to make a decision. You lunged, I thought it was clean, in the box, last ditch effort to take the ball away from Christian Pulisic. It goes to VAR. I certainly didn't think um, they were going to call a penalty. I did not think it was clear and obvious. They called the penalty. That's the risk you take. Uh, but this VAR assessment or this VAR play, the penalty, is not the reason Mexico lost. Let's be clear about this. Uh, I was on Deportes all day, different shows, and it's, did the U.S. win because of this penalty call? No. Mm. That's not the reason. We can go into the reason. We can go into what? Mexico not being able to mark on set pieces, not just the two goals they gave up, but every single set piece that the U.S. had, they came up second best. Mexico and the tactical errors, Tata Martino and 
everything he did. This isn't the reason that Mexico lost. Uh, yeah, but look, on the penalty, you cannot call it then. You just can't call it then, especially after, as the center ref had done all game, had pretty much let everything go. You can't make that call there. The other reason you can't make that call is because he didn't make it in the first place, Herc. You know, you have to overturn it based on conclusive yeah, video evidence. It's not clear right? and obvious. You got to see. You got to see that you made a mistake. I don't see it from there. I, I, you know, you may say I'm looking at it through certain shades, but I think Carlos Salcedo is playing the ball first, and he gets there first. He takes it away. Now, what has to be said? Credit to Christian Pulisic. Correct. He gets into the box. He knew exactly what he was doing, and at the end of the day, whether it was a penalty or not. He drew that penalty. And to go back to the Chucky Lozano comparison, because I mentioned Chucky's shots from distance that were safe from Ethan Horvath, as good as Chucky was, he didn't get into the box. He couldn't penetrate quite like Pulisic did, at least in that moment. And when you penetrate, like you say on the defensive side, bad things can happen. Well, good things can happen, too. If you're Christian Pulisic and you get into the box, as we saw, very good things happen. Some bad things happened last night as well, Herc, though. And that has to do with the fans and what we saw in the game. There's kind of Two issues I think we have to address here. One is we did hear the return of the homophobic chant. And second is what we saw repeated instances of projectiles coming out of the stands. And not just coming out of the stands, but hitting players, sometimes directly in the head, where you start to worry about things like concussions and serious injuries. Herc, it was just, uh, frankly, uh, of all the things you love from this final, there were some really ugly scenes. Ugly? Yes. Embarrassing? Very much so. This is the... This is the image we're projecting to the rest of the world. I mean, I shared, I shared a, an article with you guys. It was the sun, you know, in England and, and how we are perceived in CONCACAF, whether it's the homophobic chant, whether it's the throwing of objects onto the field, it's embarrassing. Now, mm. CONCACAF officials, after I tweeted something, reached out to me. Oh, the, the reason it happened in the 89th minute is because that's the first time it was loudly heard. You heard it faintly a few times. I'm sorry that faint homophobia isn't a big enough issue for CONCACAF. This is embarrassing. The only reason, the only way this will change is if CONCACAF itself makes it change. You stop yeah. the game. You don't start. You start throwing people out of the stands. You start deducting points. Whatever it may be, this needs to stop. The image we project is downright embarrassing. Yeah, when it comes to the stuff coming out of the stands, it's just unacceptable. And I think at some point, you've got to start labeling that for what it is. It's assault. Yeah. You're throwing something that heavy at somebody from that far away, there can be very serious consequences. And so at some point, those people need to be charged to the fullest extent of the law and really see how far you can push it. As far as the homophobic chant, uh, Herc, we heard it again. And again, we didn't find a refereeing crew or a confederation, CONCACAF as well, that was willing to go to step two of the protocol, was willing to pull people off the field. And if you never get to step two, Herc, you're never really threatening step three, which is to abandon the match. And I think that leads us to the obvious statement, which is we now know what the priorities are for those involved. And I think that's really, at this point, the Confederation, CONCACAF, and the federations involved with is the Mexican Federation. And it's not to get this homophobic chant out of soccer. It's very clearly to finish these games. And for as exciting as the game was last night, for as exciting as it was, it was in a tournament, the Nations League, that two, three years ago didn't exist, that we didn't talk about. And the other time we heard it repeatedly was a juego molero, a partido molero in Arlington, and they wouldn't abandon the match. So we know now what the priorities are, and it's very clearly that it's not getting this homophobic chant out of the sport. We can talk about it being sad and disappointing. I think it's both of those things later, uh, but that's the bottom line. One real quick thing, one real quick thing. Herc, I do want to say about the fans. Mexico always claims to play as locales in the United States. And in most stadiums, and in most cities, and in most moments, even against the U.S., 
That's true. I'm wondering if you picked up on some moments late in that match when the tide started to turn to the U.S. and you started to hear USA, 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 and credit to the American outlaws. It's not often that USA chants drown out Mexico chants um, when those two teams play, even in this country. So we saw something there that I think was certainly a turn from things in the past. And I loved it. And I'm dealing with it today. Um, what were the shows I worked on in Deportes? All of a sudden, the Mexican counterparts are a little bit less loud. They're not mm. as boisterous as they once were. And when that happens, and you can increase it with like the American Outlaws and what they do in this great atmosphere and the great support that they provide for the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team, well, all bets are off. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's uh, get more big picture perspective here on the U.S. men's national team. Nobody better to do that than Taylor Twelman. You know him as the voice of a lot of things here on ESPN. He's on Sports Nation. He's going to be on our Euros coverage. Uh, he's also the voice of the U.S. men's national team on ESPN in English. And we welcome him into Football Americas now here on ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> Taylor, great. Oh, oh, look at that. Oh, man, he showed us up. He showed us up. I, I, gotta, I, I was taking my dress tips from Herc. I got to take them from... Uh, from Taylor moving forward. All right, Taylor, Weekend let's get right into it. Weekend at I love it. <laughs> let's get right into it. All last week, man, Herc was prattling on about Greg Berhalter doesn't have a marquee win, and he was naming everybody, all the old coaches, Klinsman, Bradley. He went back to Bruce Arena. I did. Uh, can we mm -hmm. finally say now, Taylor, that Greg Berhalter not only has his, his marquee win, but he's kind of solidified, not as a U.S. coach, right? He already has the job, but as kind of the right choice for the U.S. coach because I feel like there were still some questions heading in. Well, that is going to be determined whether or not they qualify for the World Cup. But Herc is exactly right in saying that there wasn't a marquee victory for Greg Berhalter. And you guys have done a wonderful job of looking at this through a different lens. And that is not, in large part, Greg Berhalter's issue because the pandemic came at an awful time when he's trying to find himself as an international manager versus coming off the club coaching where you're with the team day in and day out. So he didn't have a marquee win. That is 100% true. He's now got it, and I think it takes a little pressure off of him. However, World Cup qualifying and Gold Cup are coming right around the corner. So you two know this better than anyone, that now all of a sudden, if you don't get to the Gold Cup final, and if you do get to the Gold Cup final, Mexico is not there, you better win the Gold Cup final. Then all of a sudden, if that doesn't happen, this win kind of is up in the air where you're like, ah, I'm not so sure about this. So times, times of the essence... He needed this more than Tato Martino, absolutely, even though Martino will have more pressure on him going into the Gold Cup. But Greg Berhalter, with a lot of the pressure around him, whether his brother hired him, he hasn't done anything with the system, whatever the naysayers are saying, he needed this victory badly. He got it, but Herc is right. This is the first one. It's that timing, isn't it, Taylor? Isn't it, Sebi? You mentioned the pandemic. Nobody expected a pandemic. Well, also, nobody expected that you'd use the first 13 months with an interim coach until Greg Berhalter came. Then the pandemic happened. So now all that time you yep. could have been using, could have been well spent, working out a system, trying out players, really getting things going, you're barely doing now. You get your first marquee win. It doesn't matter how it happened. It happened. 
these type of battles that harden your players, that give you the type of experience you need for a team moving forward. But now, you just mentioned it, Taylor, World Cup qualifying. I'm not even worried about Gold Cup because that might be a different type of team we see in Gold Cup. The expectations may be different. It's that World Cup qualifying. What will that look like now that there are three games in a window? Now that every certain outing, outing you only have a few days to work on a system, with, uh, then you're going to go play in San Pedro Sula, you're going to go play in Mexico City, you're going to go play wherever you go play. I feel like he will change it up. That time could have been better spent. So it definitely feels like the pressure will mount because of the timing. Taylor, Christian Pulisic wearing a captain's yeah, armband, sinks the penalty. Amazing stuff. The way he makes the penalty too, right? What, what cool, calm, collected manner of stepping up in that mm-hmm. moment and converting it. And really what to me stole the show is a celebration, right? Going over to the Mexico fans, uh, takes the shirt off, you know, tells them to keep it quiet. There's a time in the history of the United States where it was kind of Claudio Reyna's U.S. men's national team. And then after that, where it was Landon Donovan's U.S. men's national team. Is it safe to say now this is Christian Pulisic's U.S. men's national team, Taylor? Seb, I'm glad you framed the question the way you did because I do think it's less about the penalty. And listen, the penalty was fantastic. Make no mistake about it. But the celebration was very indicative of where Christian Pulisic is mentally. And you also Mm. go back to the celebration of winning the Champions League with Chelsea and wearing a U.S. Soccer Federation sweatshirt. He wants ownership of this. Now, I'd argue with you a little bit in saying, well, nobody in the press actually criticized Christian Pulisic after failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. Remember, everyone talked about the team. Well, that yeah, but we're going to leave Christian Pulisic aside because he's better than the team. He's bigger than the team. And I think that has stuck with Christian. I think he... It takes ownership of that. He took failing to qualify very difficult. I've had multiple sit-downs with him where you can see that emotion. But that celebration after winning the Champions League and then after bearing the penalty the other night, Seb, I love the way you framed the question because to me, that was the bigger statement than the way he buried the penalty because that looked like in his eyes, he wants to be the leader of this team and wants everyone else to follow in his footsteps. I thought that was a great way to look at that. It's iconic, isn't it? It's one of those moments that we've seen with Landon Donovan, who quite frankly did his best work against the Mexican national team. Now, if this U.S. men's national team wants to succeed, wants to do something of note, they need their highest profile player, Christian Pulisic, to be there to have success. In this I see a Christian Pulisic like Landon Donovan that maybe won't be yelling at his teammates, maybe won't be the hoorah, hoorah, give the pep speeches, get guys going, but can lead by example. And that example is when we need you the most against the biggest of opponents, Mexico, you come out and you play. What about the performance itself, Taylor? Because up until the penalty, you can make the case he was very quiet. And I think when you see what he does at a place Mm -hmm. like Chelsea, and he does take over games from time to time, you kind of think, all right, well, that'll translate to CONCACAF, even against a good team like Mexico. He'll be dominant. He wasn't quite dominant. How do you rate how he played on Sunday? No, but to that extent, neither was Sergio Dest, right? Sergio Dest, right? You look at him and in the way he's played for, quite frankly, like he's, he's looked like a real question mark for the national team. You go from Barcelona where you dominate possession for 78% of the game, now all of a sudden you have to defend and he doesn't look comfortable doing that. Pulisic was quiet. I I don't think that's saying anything. I don't think that's a hot take. But I also don't think the United States was as fluid going forward. Now I felt like Giovanni Reyna had a better tournament, semifinal and finals if you combine them. He was more impactful in games. He was willing to drop deeper in the hole. 
But Polisic's the game changer. Polisic has the pace off the ball. Polisic's the guy that can run off your number nine, whether it's Sargent or whoever is up front. And so he's the one in the blink of an eye that can change the game. He can turn over the game, and then all of a sudden the game's going in your favor. Greg Berhalter has to find a way, guys, to get more touches. And I don't think he's putting him, Polisic for that matter, in the prime spot to do this. In the best mm. games we've seen Polisic play... For the U.S. men's national team, particularly in World Cup qualifying in 2018, he was actually playing as a second forward, a number 10, and a 4-2-3-1, whatever you want to say it. But it was underneath Josie, and he had the freedom to just go find the game, go get into the game, do something right through the middle, and impact the game. Now, a lot of people will say, and Herc, I've seen you do this, and it's right. For Chelsea, he's a wide player. I get that. However, for the United States... I'm not so sure you need him to play wide if Giovanni Reina is that kind of player the way he is. They've got to find a way to get Pulisic involved more. And Seb, you're right. It was a quiet game, in my opinion, from Pulisic. And yet it doesn't matter because he buried the most important penalty in that game. You know, Seb Taylor, if I could briefly hear, I actually thought when they did that three center back back line, the two wing backs, that they would play Josh Sargent and almost two tens, very narrow wingers like Agreed. he does at Chelsea. I thought that would have been better for players like Christian Pulisic and Giovanni, Giovanni Reina when you have Agreed. wing backs because then it gives them the liberty to kind of overlap you and to play off you. Agreed. I was very stunned when I saw him isolated and you saw how. In effect, now we saw the ranks right there. He was first in a lot of uh, team team ranks for the U.S. men's national team. Who had a very underwhelming final as far as good football, good play. They won the game, but by no means was it aesthetic. Can we talk goalies here a little bit? Uh, we talked about Ethan Horvath off the top. Yeah, Taylor. Let me take you back to like 2019, early 2019. So early days of Greg Burhalter. You and I were doing a game, I think, in in Arizona, and we have these. You know, the day before the match, kind yep. of behind yep. behind the scenes chats with the manager. And one of the takeaways I had from that was he said there was an open competition for goalie. And I, mean, I don't know that I really believed him. And, and eventually, Zach Steffen kind of locked down the number one job, and it didn't really seem like there was much competition. Zach Steffen gets hurt. It's scary because it's one of those non-contact knee injuries. Then Ethan Horvath comes on and does what he does. Uh, is this number one job for the U.S. now up in the air with, what, like 18 months to go to the World Cup? It better be. It absolutely better be. Uh, because what we've seen from Zach Steffen, uh, look at the FA Cup semifinal guys, right? You, you see him make one decision coming off his line. He needs, he's in no man's land. Chelsea puts the ball in the back of the net. Manchester City loses, loses the FA Cup semifinal. And so he's been, and then you go to the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal coming off the line, if not for Josh Sargent's back of his head clearance that was remarkable and the, everyone forgets about it. His decision-making has been very questionable. The one question I have for goalkeeper for the United States is neither goalkeeper is playing regularly. And the one thing you do not want is that position to not be tested. And as often as I talk about Serginho Dest not wanting to defend, Zach Steffen, when he does play, is playing for Manchester City, and he's facing, what, a half a shot a game? That's what the averages are. He's mm. barely facing a shot a game, so he's not battle-tested. And when you look at Ethan Horvath, what he did against Switzerland, and what he did coming off the bench, this better be a competition. And Herc knows this better than anyone, because then the message translates throughout the entire locker room. 
Because if that performance from Ethan Horvath doesn't translate into having a real competition with Zach Steffen, two guys that have known each other since they were 13, by the way, if that doesn't do it, then everyone else looks around the locker room and says, well, wait a minute, I don't, I don't really need to be that accountable because Greg Berhalter knows I'm one of his favorites, so I can kind of skirt this. I think it's very important that Greg Berhalter handles this the right way, and in my opinion, Ethan Horvath needs to play the next couple of games when he and Zach Steffen are available. Well, this is uh, a few things here. Uh, first off, this decision may be Greg Berhalter's to make depending on how he wants to play because there's a reason he values Zach Steffen so much, his ability to play with his feet, the way he wants to play out of the back. So now we have to see if Ethan Horvat can offer the same, even though it's absolutely an open competition after the last two games that even Ethan Horvat has had. Uh, and number two, this may not even be a competition because Zach Steffen hasn't proven to be healthy in the last year and a half. He's had these knee injuries, nagging knee injuries, going back to Fortuna Dusseldorf. Uh, hopefully he's okay, but that may be something that's completely taken out of, out of his uh, control and, and completely given to Horvat. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say given, but placed there. All right, boys. Brass tax time. The million-dollar question right now. After the result, 3-2 in Denver on Sunday night, is the U.S. men's national team the best team in CONCACAF? Taylor. One, two, three, four. No. Nope. And until they do it in a convincing fashion. Listen, I, there's more hope after the victory. Absolutely 100%. But Mexico wasn't completely healthy for that game. And you guys have done a wonderful job of covering Jimenez. And, and that's the, that his head injury and his return. If Chicharito stays health, uh, hot and gets back into the conversation, that's another conversation. I understand the United States were missing Tyler Adams for majority of that game. They're missing Air Long. I get all of that. But fully healthy, everyone, full throttle. I still think Mexico is a notch above the United States. However, the 3-2 victory in Denver gives you a little bit more hope. And Herc, you know this better than anyone, that gives you an extra 10 to 15% to perform at a higher level. I think the gap has closed a little bit, mainly because mentally now the United States know they can pull it off. Yeah, they know they can pull it off, but I agree with you. They're not the top dog in CONCACAF. They're not El Gigante CONCACAF because Mexico has more tried and proven players within CONCACAF. Mexico knows what it's like to go to San Pedro Sula, to go to these different places and grind out results to completely shut teams out at El Estadio Azteca. This is still a very young U.S. men's national team. This type of victory will go a long way. But as we saw in the semifinal versus Honduras, things could go south very, very mm. quickly. And if you're not on your day, we could have more of these, oh, look what happened in Cova. Yeah, first win for the United States against Mexico in a cup final since 2007. First win for the United States against Mexico in a competitive match since 2013. So the beginning of a turning point, we'll say, but definitely feels like the start of something. All right, Taylor Twelman, man, uh, thanks for the time. I know you got a lot of stuff going on on Sports Nation here on ESPN Plus, all over our Euros coverage. He's calling games with John Champion just like he does for MLS. So, Taylor, thanks for the time. We'll do it again soon here on Football Americas. Love the show, boys. Keep it going. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. 
Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, let's go big picture Mexican national team perspective. We welcome into the show, I would say guest, but I mean at this point, he's, he's part of La Familia. Mauricio Pedrosa back with us here on, uh, on Football Americas. Mal, let's get right into it. Um, Herc was talking earlier about some of the hits that he's been doing on, on Football Picante. I know you've been all, all over the place, I'm sure, as well, following what the Mexican press is saying. And you'll correct me here if I'm wrong. I feel like what I'm hearing a lot of is Mexico were by far the better team. The, the result was a little bit of a fluke for the U.S. And that Mexico kind of deserved to win this match. I wonder, one, um, if you agree with that. Let's just start there. Do you agree with what, that what the Mexican press is saying, that Mexico were, were the better team? I do agree that Mexico were the better team, statistically, and I, and I believe they control the better parts of the game. Now, there were some better spells by the U.S. men's national team, but I believe overall Mexico displayed the better game, and I do believe they deserve to win. Now, this is not a game of deserving, it's a game of converting opportunities, and that's exactly what the U.S. men's national team did better. Herc? I mean, he's right. The better spells were of L3. Uh, the better overall play aesthetically was for L3. More possession, better spurts, better individual uh, performances. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter when you convert. Well, I should say the U.S. men's national team converts on every single set piece that they have. Mm. They were first to every single set piece. So when you are a team that plays well, but give up those type of opportunities to a team that has players like Weston McKinney, who live off of those type of plays, who have proven, who have shown to be so strong in the air, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And yes, there were some bad performances on the U.S. men's national team, but individual performances on the Mexican national team, like Gallardo, like Chaka Rodriguez, like Charlie Rodriguez, who, who left a lot to be decided, the two center backs who looked not one, but yeah. two steps off. They looked extremely slow. So lots of questions to be asked to this Mexican national team. The man who wasn't answering the questions after the match because he was kicked out of the game, Tata Martino. So, to get a perspective on how the Mexican team itself feels about how they played, let's listen in to his assistant who faced the press after the match. Fundamentalmente, creo que eh, México hizo un gran partido. Eh, no tengo duda de que si tendría que haber un, habido un ganador en, en los 90 minutos y en los 120, tendría que haber sido México por lo que desplegó en la cancha, por lo que hizo en la cancha y por la actitud y el juego que impuso. Yo creo que el ganador tendría que haber sido la selección mexicana sin ninguna duda y tendría que haber terminado los 90 minutos con, con el marcador eh, para la selección mexicana. Well, regardless of how people feel they played, at the end of the day, the U.S. won and Mexico lost. So let's play a little version of the blame game then, Mao. Uh, how responsible is Tata Martino of all for the loss that Mexico suffers last night in Denver? Uh, I, I wouldn't put a lot of blame on Tata Martino. And I just want to say something real quick after hearing his uh, part of his staff. You can take that press conference and just go back to every time Mexico has been eliminated in the round of 16, and that's the exact same soundbite being played every four years. The exact same soundbite. Now, going back to Tata Martino, there's, there's a lot of talk about set pieces and how the U.S. were able to convert off those set pieces. 
But I, I was going back and, and checking the film, just reviewing the film, and Tata Martino tried different things. It was just very pure execution, uh, very poor execution, especially in the second goal, because he was playing a mixed mark. He was playing two players one-on-one -on -one and then some zone defense. But if you see Hector Moreno's performance, very bad, very poor. If you see Carlos Salcedo in the end, also very bad. Nestor Araujo, same thing. So I do believe Tata Martino was trying different things. They just didn't work because the execution was not there. And I also want to give Tata some credit for playing Tecatito Corona on the left-hand side. I mean, playing Chucky Lozano, so false nine. When, first of all, Tata Martino said we, ha we have to put some respect on other number nine's name, but he played Chucky Lozano. I think the tactics were right. The team was aggressive. He made the decision to leave Andres Guardado on the bench and start Charlie Rodriguez. I like the move. I just don't believe Charlie Rodriguez is playing at a great level right now. But I don't put the blame on Tata Martino. Some individual performances were very, very poor by the Mexican national team. That's on Tata Martino. If you look at the attention to detail on set pieces and what has been this Mexican national team under Tata Martino, that is a weakness of theirs. That is something that didn't happen with Juan Carlos Osorio. You can go back and say whatever you want about Juan Carlos Osorio, but he did not have this problem. Tata Martino does. The player selection is also a problem for Tata Martino. Artiaga had a very good game. He's a very good prospect going forward. And you go and revert back to Gallardo, who struggled. Chaka Rodriguez, who struggled. You put in Charlie Rodriguez over Guardado. I understand. Guardado maybe is not a player that can go the distance for you. And you probably don't want to burn that sub early with him. Okay. But Luis Romo's coming off an MVP performance for Cruz Azul. Why not go with the Luis Romo there? You then say, as Mauricio correctly points out, put some respect on our nine's names. Don't talk bad about Alan Pulido and what is Henry Martin. They're very capable forwards, very capable nines. And then what do you do? Chucky Lozano as a nine. And then it's Antuna and it's Tecatito. And when you have a chance, and he did it, he brought on Diego Linus, who for my money was one of the better players on the field. You do it at a time that you probably could have put a, put, pulled the trigger excuse me, a little bit earlier. He changed the game on its head. So you could only imagine what's going on. And then when they most needed him, what did Tata Martino do? Gets himself red carded. That, mm. that, that right there sends a message to the rest of the team. I think Tata is as much to blame as anybody here. Mao? I just want to say something about the, the, the last thing that Hurt just said. Uh, when he goes back and starts naming the defenders, especially uh, right back, left back, there are no, no many other options. The game against Costa Rica, Mexico's right back was actually Uriel Antuna. What does that tell you? That tells you that Tarta Martino doesn't believe he has good enough players for those positions. And yes, he's in charge of selecting the starting 11 right now. And, and I think the game yesterday was so beneficial for Tata Martino. Because he's now realizing that a team is not great. There's not a lot of individual talent. I think we would all agree that Charlie Rodriguez has to play over Andres Guardado. I know, and I know we'll talk Andres Guardado in just a second, but yesterday was just a bad game for him. But I would start every single game with Charlie Rodriguez over Andres Guardado. I have no problem with that whatsoever. Guys, I don't know about the tactics. I don't know about the set pieces. I'll leave that to you. But if there is a failure from Tata Martino in this game, I'm kind of with you, Herc. It's emotional. The team blows two leads, two separate leads in this game. At some point, that's got to be on the coach. And he did lose his cool. And I don't know the full impact that that might have had on Andres Guardado, but it certainly doesn't transmit calm onto the field. And there was still five or ten minutes to go in that game for Mexico to come back. I think it was actually ten when all the extra time 
was added on. If there's one more area you can probably criticize Tata Martino, maybe hindsight is 20-20 here, it's the decision not to start Diego Lainez, right? Because Diego Lainez then comes on and has this amazing impact. Now, is Diego Lainez now a lockdown starter for the Mexican national team after this performance in a big game against the U.S.? Well, no doubt. First of all, he proved one of us wrong. Not you, Sebi, not me. He proved Herc wrong. Because Herc kept saying all along the way that Uriel Antuna had been the better player uh, when it came to national team play. Should we read I the stats? I think it was pretty clear, pretty obvious that Diego Lainez is a way, way, way better player than Uriel Antuna. And I think it's not only Diego Lainez, I think it also played a role. When Diego Lainez played on the right-hand side, Chucky Lozano played on the left-hand side. That was actually, to me, the better minute for Mexico because they both tend to internalize the game and create better opportunities. To me, Diego Lainez has to be a starter on this team because he's a, again, a better player than Uriel Antuna. And he plays for Betis in La Liga. Uriel Antuna plays for Chivas in La Liga eh, Mexicana. Come on. Let's start off, let's start off by uh, giving it some context. Uh, look at the numbers for the two with the Mexican national team. And if you want just a senior national team, and recently, the last two games have been Diego Lainez's best games by far. Also, Diego Lainez plays, do you know... What that does to Tecatito Corona and Irving Lozano to play in their natural positions, that puts one of them out. So are you telling me that Diego Lainez is going to play I'm over with Chucky it. Lozano or Tecatito? Not Chucky, Tecatito, yeah. I'm absolutely fine with it. Hey, you, were, you brought up this idea. Why don't you play Tecatito Corona as a right back, right? So if we just mentioned that <laughs> Mexico has a right back problem, why I'm don't you play Tecatito Corona as a right coach. back? I would not I'm do that to Tecatito. <laughs> <laughs> let, me ask, let me ask about Andres Guardado, guys. We got to get to this because Mal brought it up earlier. Uh, he misses the penalty. He's 34 years old. Uh, it feels like a changing of the guards generally with this rivalry, but certainly this Mexican team, when you compare the ages of Mexico to the age of the U.S., they are an aging squad, and Guardado is a big part of that. Herc, realistically now, looking forward to the World Cup, what's his future with the national team? He's going to be 35 in September, guys. 18 months from now, he'll be 36 going on 37. This is a player that if he is in Qatar, if he is there, it's going to be likened to what we saw from Rafa Marquez in Russia. He's going to be there for his experience, for his mentoring, not for what he can do on the field. Sure, maybe in a pinch, he comes on. Maybe to close out a game, maybe in crunch time, limited minutes. But he's not your out-and-out, everyday starter. He's certainly not going to be the captain of this Mexican national team. I firmly believe we've seen the last of... Andres Guardado and this Mexican national team. Now, you agree, is he done at least as a starter? I agree that he's done as a starter. He cannot start, uh, but I do believe that he has to be a part of the team. Uh, it's not only his leadership. I believe he can give you a good 20 to 25 minutes if the game actually asks for a player like him. Uh, he still plays in La Liga for Betis, and, and whenever he's not injured, it's a big if, but whenever he's not injured, yeah. He can give you good minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think whenever he's uh, paired with Hector Herrera, that's actually positive for Mexico, but they do need an extra player. And I didn't like the way Mexico ended up playing yesterday with Andres Guardado as a number five, and then playing uh, Edson Alvarez and Romo. That was probably not the best midfield because Andres Guardado, he's lost a step or two steps maybe, but he has to be part of the squad. I just don't see him as a starter anymore. 
Now it's a little bit lo de siempre with Mexico as we look back on this game, right? Created more chances but couldn't finish them. As you said at the top very, very eloquently, it's the same thing we hear at the round of 16 every time. There were chances, but Mexico couldn't at the end of the day put the ball in the net. That comes down in large part to one position, and that's the number nine. With how well Javier Chicharito Hernandez is playing in MLS, and we heard all what John Sutcliffe said on the show about him being off the list, uncall-upable for Tata Martino right now. Uh, do they need Chicharito? Do they need this Mexican national team, Javier Hernandez? Uh, Mex yeah, Mexico needs a number one, uh, a number nine, and the best number nine available right now is Javier Hernandez. And 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 I think you you uh, stated very clear why he's not playing. And someone j told me a couple of days ago that pretty much Tata Martino wants Chicharito to go on the record to the public saying, "I apologize. I was wrong. I hurt the team, but I went back." He hasn't said that, and we'll see if that ever happens. But they do need him. Because if you're going to play Chucky Lozano, I don't think Chucky Lozano is, is not a good false number nine. I think he can do well, but not, that's not his best position. So, yeah, they do need a number nine, and the best available is Javier Hernandez. We don't know when Raul Jimenez is going to be available again. We hope he will be available for the national team again. We just don't know when that's going to happen. So, yeah. Javier Hernandez has to be a part of this team. So look, there, there are positions available, and one of them is a number nine position, and you have players who can possibly can fill that void, who Tata Martino says, please respect these players like Alan Pulido and Henry <laughs> Martin, but he won't value those players. And then you have Chicharito, who's ready to go, but many are clamoring for Rogelio, Rogelio Funes Mori, who could take time to actually get his passport and get a one-time switch going. So you may not even have him, forget about Gold Cup, for World Cup qualifiers. <laughs> Why, right. are, why are you messing around? Why are you not going with the obvious? The all-time leading goal scorer of your Mexican national team, who just turned 33 a few days ago, who's, by the way, the leading goal scorer in Major League Soccer. I don't understand why Tata Martino and the Mexican Federation feel this need to prove I am right. Tell the world I am right for you to come back. Yeah, let's be honest. It's a huge drop-off to... You can't put Chicharito and Raul Jimenez in the same conversation as Alan Pulido and, and Henry Martin. These guys are, are, are struggling to score 10, 15 goals a season max in leagues like MLS and Liga Mekis. You can't compare that to what the other guys have done. I'm interested that you mentioned Rogelio Funes Mori and World Cup qualifying. Here's the, here's the, the, the cynic in me is, is thinking, an Argentine coach, Tata Martino, calls up Rogelio Funes Mori, a naturalized Argentine, for World Cup qualifiers ahead of Chicharito, the all-time leading scorer for Mexico, and Mexico gets off to a bad start in World Cup qualifying. Can you imagine, can you imagine the drama? All right, uh, just like we did with Taylor Twelman, Mal, brass tacks, uh, the big million-dollar question. Right now, with what we saw last night from what we've known of the last decade, is Mexico still el gigante de CONCACAF? No, but there's no Gigante de la CONCACAF right now. We just have, like, average-sized teams right now. <laughs> Eventually, we, we can have another Gigante. Right now, there's no Gigante in CONCACAF. I can't believe what I'm hearing here. Mauricio Pedrosa is saying Mexico is not el Gigante de CONCACAF. What? Mm. You all right? Not right now. No, there's no Gigante. <laughs> just an average-sized team. That's it. Hey, but he also didn't say that the U.S. was El Gigante de CONCACAF. So, look, look at Seb. not... Seb's heart just broke in a million pieces, and he doesn't know how to repair this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Apologize. May have, may have, may have reality, not man. Mexico Facts. off their perch, 
but didn't claim the perch just can, yet. Can Let's I make you, it very can I tell clear. You, can I say really quickly, if they're not El Gigante de Concaf right now, Mexico is in trouble because if you mm. look at the age of this team, of the Mexico squad, compared to what is the U.S. men's national team, compared to what is Honduras, who is getting younger, compared to what is Costa Rica, who's in a generational shift, should Mexico not be worried? Mm. If you take Tim Ream out of the equation for the starting 11, who's 33, I believe, by the way, this goes dramatically down. Uh, this should be worrying Mexico. Yeah, this looks uh, now, like writing on the just, wall. Just one quick thing. Let's just remember there are at least five players right now with the Olympic team with Jaime Lozano that would probably be a part of the first team for Tata Martino. So that, that could probably equal those differences a little bit. Just putting it out there. Okay, uh, one more thing here because we, uh, we got some comments, some interesting comments post-match from Tecatito, who of course scored the goal that got the game off to such a great start. Uh, we'll translate it here from Spanish what he said. Effectively, yes, it was one of the best games we've played. Whoever watches or analyzes this will see we were the superior team. Unfortunately, set pieces is something we have to work on for what's next, which is Gold Cup, which is a rematch. He uses the word, uh, obviously, uh, revancha there. So, Herc, how, how important now, coming off this loss, is the Gold Cup actually to Mexico and Tata Martino? It's vital for Tata Martino and, and this Mexican national team. Anything less but a victory, but lifting up that trophy will certainly me mean that Tata Martino and his job is on the line. Mm. Because of the age group, because of this more advanced Mexico, we must win now type of mentality and type of side. And also, as both of you know, there have been a lot of rumblings about the type of team that the U.S. men's national team may take to Gold Cup. They are prioritizing the European players in their preseason, so we may see a majority MLS-type Gold Cup for the U.S. men's national team. Mao? Uh, yes, Tata, Tata now is going to be uh, obligated to win the Gold Cup, not, not because of what it gives you just as a trophy, but of the repercussions that he will have if he doesn't win it. Uh, it would probably, I, I wouldn't consider it a revenge game because we saw what it pretty much is, the U.S. men's national team uh, ideal starting 11. Tyler Adams probably should be part of that team. But Mexico almost had their ideal starting 11. So when you put those together, that's when you have another revenge. It will probably come until the World Cup qualifiers. But yes, Tata will be under a lot of pressure if his team doesn't win the Gold Cup. Uh, you say pressure, Mal. Let me ask you this one last thing. Could that pressure lead to trouble? Yeah. With World Cup qualifiers coming, if they don't win Gold Cup, could his job be in jeopardy? You know, you know the temperature of, of not just the Mexican press, but the Mexican public. H how much trouble could he be in? Oh, yeah. He could be in trouble, of course. Uh, when you're the Mexican national team manager, you live in a... It's, it's like a marriage. So you live in a honeymoon stage... When you play a lot of, like you said, it's a partidos moleros, and you start winning a lot of games, but until you have your first series defeat, then the real marriage starts, and there will be a lot of people calling for at least accountability from, from Tata Martino. So, yeah, oh, yeah, his position would be in danger if he doesn't win the Gold Cup. Yeah, especially right now, Seb, because it started off with the nine situation. I don't have Raul Jimenez. How does that affect me? But now you're seeing other situations. Andres Guardado is getting too old. My center backs are too slow. My players are getting old. I'm starting to lose games I would normally win. And by the way, the neighbor to the north of me, who is younger, who has more high-profile players playing in more high-profile places, just beat me. Mm. And, and 
You're not calling in Chicharito. All right, we'll <laughs> leave it there for now. Mauricio Pedrosa, you can watch him Monday through Friday with Herc on Ahora Nunca. Thanks, My as man. always, Mal, for the time. Great to have you. Gracias, amigos. Bye-bye. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right. Uh, hey, busy show coming up. We got Don Garber, MLS commissioner. You're doing a one-on-one interview with him. That's on Wednesday. It'll be here for the Thursday show. And her big, big news between Major League Soccer and Liga Mekis. Big announcement! Later this week. We will be all over big. it on Thursday's edition of Football Americas right here on ESPN+. Plus. We'll You're the best. You, you guys are the best.